0: Um, Our mission statement as a church is to encounter the love and the power of God and give it away to the world. We kind of think that that's the mission of a disciple of Jesus, and that's what uh, the gathered disciples, that is the church, is all about on the earth until Jesus comes back again. So when we have people who are encountering encountering God's love and power, and then they're going off to the world to give it away, we kind of like to go rah, rah, rah. So uh, John and Heather, Jesse, could you guys come up so we can rah, rah for you? Go ahead, you can come Uh, you come up, yeah. John and Heather uh, took a tiny little trip off to India just a little while ago, and so I asked them to take a few moments and share uh, what God did in them and what God did through them there. So it's up to you guys.
1: Okay. Um, the first thing I, I wanted to share that I was hearing during worship was the Lord say, "Freely I have I have received, and I want to freely give." So I feel like even now as I'm speaking, this is an invitation for impartation of whatever we got, what revelation, what truth we got while we were there, the Lord wants to impart to you. Um, gosh, so much happened in 14 days. Um, I'll hit on just a few quick, funny, and serious, and tie it all in stories, and then I'll pass it on. But it started with a city of 35 million people. You can't. It would be like putting 100,000 people in this building. I mean, it's. it, it was overwhelming. An overnight train ride, waking up at 3 a.m. Covered in cockroaches. Hmm. Praise the Lord. Yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what they say in India. You say hallelujah, you say praise the Lord. So that was fun. Um, getting to preach in front of four to 500 women. That was powerful. That was scary. Um, praying for a woman who was blind and having her eyesight completely restored. Um Gosh, there was a lot. Um, I think for me, the greatest thing I came away with was um, absolutely no fear. Like, God really poured out his love in me and just really burned away so much. Like, I know that I know in the depths of my soul I'm called to some really dark places, and I'm ready to go. So, yeah, so that was really fun just to partner with him and really step into... Um, who I am. So I didn't. I don't want to say I came back different, but I came back who I am.
2: <laughs> I like that. Really good. Uh, first, I wanted to say that what Heather said there about impartation—that um, is kind of an example of what she was doing the whole time that we were there. We would uh, get up and speak in little five minutes here, ten minutes there, sort of a thing. And she's uh, getting great at getting these little downloads during worship and writing them down, and okay, here we go. Um, But to start out with, the trip was late August and early September, and I first wanted to say thank you to all of you who helped, both monetarily and especially through prayer. Um, The trip turned out much better than we expected. Uh, You hear so much about jet lag. There was none of that when we got there. Um, The trip landed uh, we landed in Mumbai and then we took a 12-hour train ride to the central part of it India which was kind of dead center of the nation Uh, Mumbai itself is about 10 times the size and 10 times the amount of people of New York so that's what Heather meant bigger than you can imagine (laughs) Um, and it's wilder than you can imagine as well Uh, however when we went I did not really go with a agenda, mostly because I couldn't figure one out. Uh, It's not that I was going thinking, okay, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go do that. It's just that I wasn't able to figure anything out other than we're going, where are we going? I guess to say hi and to hug people and to tell them about Jesus. Other than that, I have no idea. Um, So I went with uh, some fear and uh, some trembling on it. I went with three fresh students from the Indianapolis School of Supernatural Ministry who were running out there. Left and right, and ready to pray for anybody that they could get their hands on, and I went out there myself uh in kind of inside of my own box, just kind of saying, "Okay, well, I'll back off and I'll pray while they go out and do their thing. Um, what happened though, is that I found out that when you go without an agenda and you get ready to speak in front of people without any notes whatsoever, a lot of times God can show up in a much more powerful way than you ever expect um, that without an agenda though. I was able to offer what I had, which to me was very tiny, uh, what turned out to be pretty big in God's kingdom, though. Uh, little background to myself is that since I've been here, I've been through a whole lot of healing. Um, my healing comes from a lot of trauma, and that major depressive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, is what I've been dealing with for so many years now. So a lot of times you guys may see me just kind of creep into the church, creep out of the church. That's the reason why. Um, I went to India thinking, maybe I can escape this. Maybe I'll have so much fun I'll forget about depression. We go to the downtown area. We see a temple. I get this feeling of depression all over me again. And we're worshiping. I can't even speak. I'm crying. And that's when I found out that sometimes depression is actually feeling other people's um, spiritual ailments, so to speak. Um, So depression can also be a sense of discernment. It's not always about us. Sometimes it's about others. Um, So to me, what is the black pit of being suicidal in parts of my life has turned out to actually be a point where I can turn that around to speak it out to other people and to say, I know that you're hurting and let me pray for you. Um, So literally the blackest spot can also be the brightest spot in God's kingdom. If you let him work through you, uh, I felt like God really wanted me to tell you guys that your weakness is very much his strength, and that there is power in His name much more than you can ever comprehend uh while we were in India we <laughs> while we were in India, uh some of the things that we saw out there was that we saw people that were deaf in one ear healed um we saw people that were blind in one eye healed um i went there thinking there's no power in anything that i'm doing i'm just kind of standing here being a very weak little conduit uh for god and what i saw was a boy come up to me half paralyzed walking away saying i'm fine now um yeah yeah um what's funny about it is that in india they're so desperate that they expect this to happen (laughs) So in America when we see that we freak out and we're talking about it for years later. In India this is yes over there instead of bobbing your head up and down. So it's <laughs> infectious too. Um but what you know we said are you feeling any better the guy bobs his head and walks away and I'm thinking I just I saw the new testament right in front of my face and you're just bobbing your head and walking away. How can you know but that's that's normal for them. Um the best for me, though, however, was in that place of weakness, we also dealt with a lot of demonic possession over there. And they call it for what it is. They don't say, I'm feeling a little down. I'm feeling a little out. I'm feeling, you know, this or that. They say, I am demonically possessed. I'm having nightmares. And there's demons all over me. Can somebody please pray for me? And these are people that are Muslims coming up to you. They're Hindus coming up to you. It's not just Christians coming into the Christian church. It's everybody. Um, Demonic lady came in. We didn't. She didn't even know we were there. So I'm pretty sure it was a surprise to see four white people walk into the, you know, dead central of India where they don't even see us. But this lady comes into the church, which was becoming known for a place for demonic possession healing, and she goes into the center of the church. And uh, they said they'd come to her and come back with some people. So we come out there, and I'm the last one to show up. Heather and the other two are already over there praying for her. And as I walk up, she gave me this look, and the look was from her spirit, um, showing both fear and hatred in her eyes when, she, when I walked up to her. A look of, if I could either run away or kill you, I would do one of those two right now. Um, absolutely took me aback, but I felt like I needed to touch her, physically touch her, no matter what. Um, so I went over there and I started touching her, and she started writhing like she was in pain. Um, she started jerking away from the person that was holding her down. And she was giving me that same death glare. Um, About three minutes in to that, it wasn't an exorcism sort of movie where the person's going for three days. Three minutes in, no yelling. This woman is healed of her demonic possession, and she gives me another look of just joy and peace. And she accepts Jesus, and I'm pretty sure a few of the other people in her group were silently praying right along with her. Um, We got to see the um, bracelets of her gods taken off of her arms on um, that day. And the main reason why I mentioned that is, again, I went feeling powerless. And it's not the power that I have, but it's the power that I carried within me that she saw. And that's when I finally started to believe maybe there is, you know, as a conduit, you can be so much more for God. So that was, that was India. And that's also America. Since we've gotten back, we've seen people get up out of wheelchairs, It's not just over there, and it's not just for foreign nations. It's for people who cry out for Him and who stay open to Him, and that's that's really what we wanted to share about our trip. So, thank you all again for supporting us on our trip. Um, We were asked while we were there. So, when are you coming back? Please bring your kids. (laughs) The children there, by the way, absolutely gorgeous. Um, But we were asked, when are you coming back? Um, We are hoping to do return trips, so we've actually kept a bank account open for that. Um, just a you know a small one. And as the money fills up we'll head on back again. So, you know, anybody feel free to contact us, I guess. But yeah you know, that <laughs> sorry first time of me ever having to ask that. Um, but that's about it though. I mean that was our trip and yes it did change us and yes it did reveal us. That's so. beautiful.
0: Good. Why don't you guys stand up? Can you stand? Get up out of your seats. Yeah, okay. Um, Let's pray for these weak conduits. Um, Because that is what they are, weak conduits just like us. And let's just ask uh, for the Lord to bless them, uh, to inspire us by the testimony of their faith and the work of God. So just reach out your hands if you would, and let's just pray for John and Heather.
1: Oh, Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your, your amazing love for us, your mighty love for us, and your... Great power, Lord, for us who believe. And I thank you, Lord, for this testimony. And I thank you, Lord, for the truth that they've spoken about you, Lord. And and um, Father, I just accept this impartation. Um, and and uh, for us as a church here, Lord, we just thank you for this, Lord, that you want this to happen here too, not just India.
0: So, Lord, we ask for a continued filling of the Holy Spirit for John and Heather and their family that you'd uh, walk with them in dark and light places because, Lord, the scripture says that darkness is as light to you. So we ask for the light of God upon them, in them and through them. Guide them and protect them. And, Lord, empower and release them within our own body to give away what you've given to them. We bless them in Jesus' name. Okay. Well, that's good news, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, um, <clears throat> I'm going to take about the next 22 minutes and explain the will of God to you. So I hope everyone's ready for that. Uh, I'm in a series right now calling it um, "Ancient Pathways." How is it that we go about actually living like Jesus lived? I mean, we talk about the power, you heard all about healings there. Jesus did that. But what was it that Jesus did between the miracles? How did Jesus live his life between the miracles? What, what did the, the relationship of Jesus the Son look like to, Jesus, or to God the Father? How is it that Jesus did all that he did? And I, I would say to you this morning that Jesus did the works that he did the same way that John and Heather did the works that they did because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And so the work that Jesus did while he was here on earth was not because he was the Son of God. He was the Son of God. Praise God, fully God, and yet fully man. But Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus set aside the fullness of the deity. He set it aside, and he walked like a man. And so his ministry began when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that did those works through John and Heather, the same Holy Spirit that's within us who believe in Jesus. So what does it look like to, to walk like Jesus? Jesus. And uh, so I've been talking about some spiritual disciplines, solitude, silence, prayer, engaging the scripture, etc. And this morning I want to talk about discernment. Now, discernment isn't a particularly sexy topic. I understand that, right? <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, it's not a bad word. It's in the Bible. Um, discernment is essentially this, to know and to do God's will. I mean, that's, that is what we're after as the people of God. To know his will, and then to do his will. You know, Jesus himself had to learn how to discern God's will. John 5, Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He had to practice seeing what the Father was doing. Hebrews 5, 8, it says that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Oh, goody, who wants to follow with that, right? But he had to learn obedience. Now, he obeyed every time because he was without sin. But because he'd set aside that divinity, because he was fully man as well as fully God, he had to learn it. He had to learn it the way we do. He had to discern God's will. And so we want to talk about what it means to discern God's will this morning. I want you to imagine, um, you can close your eyes if you want. Imagination is legal. It comes from God. You're walking into a museum, okay? So you're walking into an enormous museum. And imagine that on the the front of that museum, it actually says discernment. Knowing and doing God's will. As we walk into that museum this morning of discernment, the the knowledge and the the, the power to do God's will, we're just going to take a tour, okay? (laughs) This is not a graduate class in discernment. This is discernment 101. And so I put together a little sheet. Does everyone have a little sheet? Um, anyone not have one? Some, some ushers? Thanks, David. We'll come, and, come around and give you a sheet. We're not going to be following it during the message, but I'm giving it to you to take away. Because I'm going to cover about two points this morning about knowing God's will. And on the back of that sheet, I have actually put some steps to discernment. But I don't want you to be tricked into thinking that five easy steps and you'll know God's will and do it perfectly. It doesn't work that way. If it didn't work that way for Jesus, it doesn't work that way for us. We learn how to discern by trying, by, by being open with God, by being intimate with God, by being open in a community of people. So um, I want you to sit back and relax. We're talking about discerning God's will, but it, it's not pressure. We're just in the museum. We're just kind of taking the overview, okay? God has a plan for your life and God desires that you know that plan more than you yourself desire to know that plan. Jeremiah 29, uh, the Bible says this, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. How about a little amen? To prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. This is the heart of God who longs for you to know and to do his will. Um, God's general will is clear in the Bible, right? You want to know God's general will for you? First Thessalonians 5. Here's how Paul puts it. You can write this down if you want. It's on the back of your sheets. God's general will for you. Rejoice always. Well, that's easy enough. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And by the way, do not quench the Spirit. This isn't a joke. This is the revealed Word of God. You wonder at any point in your life, God, in general, what do you want from me? It actually is right there. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing an attitude of ongoing intimacy with Jesus. In everything, not for everything, but in everything, give thanks, for that's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And don't quench the Spirit. In other words, Paul is saying, don't, you know, don't shut off the flow of the work of God in your life. Be open to the supernatural, because you can't do this on your own. We can't do this on our own. We need the Holy Spirit. So we, you know, we want to make actual decisions in life, right? Um, Husbands, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you have had this experience? Maybe I'm the only one, in which case I'll be embarrassed and my wife will be mad at me. (laughs) Your wife comes out of the closet and she's got two things in her hands, right? She says, which one do you think I should wear? All right. There's no right answer here. You realize that, right? (laughs) But with your best husbandly love and attention, you say, well, I think that one on the right, you know? And so she looks at him, but she says, thanks a lot. She promptly puts the one on the right down and puts the other one on, right? And you think to yourself, why did we do this? Was this just some sort of mockery, you know? I would like to tell you husbands that you have been a part of discerning God's will. Because I think, this is my own theory here, it's not in the Bible, my own theory, is that when when women do that, what they're really saying is, I don't know which to do, and I don't know what it would feel like to have a decision made, but I need to sort of practice. So you make a decision for me, I'll stand in it and see if it's any good. Of course, it never is. (laughs) But don't they walk out with confidence? This is what I'm supposed to wear, you know? So, you know, we're all a part of this and and I joke about it, but we've got big decisions in life, right? Where do I go to school? When should I retire? Should I take early retirement? Where do I invest my money? What about this relationship? Is this the one? Do I persevere in this? How do I how do I handle this crossroads in my life? How do I handle my boss? How do I live in this neighborhood? Should we buy that house or that house? You know? I mean, these are real decisions, and God cares about these decisions. And so I want to talk real generally about what it means to have a discerning heart, sort of initial steps into discernment. Paul says it this way in Romans 12. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In other words, don't do your life like the world does their life. But there's a different way to do your life. Let your mind be renewed. And he goes on to say that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. By testing, by trying, by thinking, by experimenting, by by dealing with others, that you might discern what is the will of God. And then he goes on to describe the will of God. Oh, that is what is good and acceptable and perfect. Deep in our heart of hearts, we all want that. We all want the will of God. We want in our lives what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. If you didn't want that, you wouldn't be here this morning seeking after a God that you can't see, trying to follow the guidance of a Holy Spirit that is is, uh, invisible, but you long for it. And God's desire generally for us is that we would pursue those things in our lives that bring us life. And that we would avoid those things in our life that drain life. John 10.10. Jesus is speaking. He says, you know, the thief, he's talking about the devil. He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But then he announces his own mission. He says, but I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus makes the declaration. Here's what I want to do for you. I want to give you life. I want to give you abundant life. I mean, what John and Heather were talking about, if you can wake up happy with cockroaches on you, if you can be uh, at peace in a city of 35 million people, if you can touch a leper and declare the good news, that's overflowing life, in my opinion. And it's not just for there, it's for here. It's for you. That's the, the longing of God. But I just don't want, you to, uh, I don't want you to imagine that for a second when Jesus says, I came to give you life, and life abundantly, that, that Jesus is actually saying, I want you to be happy and at ease. Do you realize there's a difference between life and joy, ease and happiness? Right? So you're making a decision. Uh, who has ever had a conflict with another human? Good. Some of you just with animals, but most of you with humans. Okay. Okay. You know what that's like? Let's say you have a conflict with a coworker, right? Or a neighbor. And um, the conflict starts, and depending on your personality, one of two things happens. You think to yourself, what would really make me happy right now is to beat the snot out of them. (laughs) With my fists or with my words, right? Now, the other half of us are feeling like, what would really be easy for me at this moment is to get out of here and avoid this conflict and confrontation altogether, right? So I don't want you to hear, well, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly, so beat him up or run away, whatever you want. <laughs> no, sometimes life and joy are different than ease and happiness. Life might well mean for the one who wants to give it to him to, you know, set, center and s- settle themselves in God and begin to do the Jesus thing, love your enemy listen first. Be slow to speak, slow to anger. And for the one who just wants to run away, maybe it's that other Jesus thing, you know, speak the truth in love to actually stand in confrontation. You know, we had a conflict in our church this week. Can you imagine? In the house of God, two people disagreed. We're humans. All right. And it was beautiful. So there was some conflict in, in, the, in the church this week, right here in this office, all right? Real life conflict. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. And um, so there were a couple people in a room and they were talking together and they were working things out. They were upset and then they worked things out and then they got upset again, and they worked things out again. And at the end of this, there was a beautiful uh, harmony. There was agreement. This relationship is stronger now than it was last week. And I was talking to Barry Tucker, our family pastor. And, you know, you never know what's going to come out of Barry's mouth. You heard him speak last week, right? I mean, some song from the 70s. You never know what's going to come out of Barry's mouth. And he's just standing there. And he said, you know, conflict is good because on the other side of conflict, true community is waiting. I just looked at him like, wow, did you make that up? He said, yeah, I thought that was pretty good. But isn't it right? I mean, sometimes life and joy means going through the conflict and coming out on the other side closer, more in harmony, maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, Ephesians 4:16. You know, Jesus had conflict on earth. Jesus wasn't sure what to do sometimes. In the Garden of Gethsemane, remember Jesus means basically having a discussion with his father, he's saying, "Lord." This whole cross business is unattractive to me. I really don't want to do this. Jesus actually says, if there's any other way, read between the lines, for all of humanity to be redeemed. If there's any other way other than the suffering, let's do it that way. I mean, it's like Jesus is going to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. And you say, hey, you know what? A little strategy, strategy session. I think we could find another way here. And he says, but no, but not my will, but your will be done. And when Jesus deferred his will to the Father's will, life and joy was on the other side of the cross. Life and joy was on the other side of the cross. So I just want to say sometimes for us, that life and joy that Jesus wants to give is on the other side of the cross. And so it teaches us an important principle about knowing and doing God's will. Just because you're suffering does not mean that you've missed God's will. I know that is not a fun thing to hear. But just because you're in suffering, because life is difficult, does not mean you've missed God's will. There's Jesus on the cross, body broken, blood spilling out, agony, completely abandoned by God, and he's right in the center of God's will. So I just want you to hear it this morning. You know, sometimes we wonder, oh, it's getting hard. Probably I did a wrong thing. No, maybe you're right in the center of God's will. And rather than trying to get out of the difficulty, you start looking for Jesus in the midst of the difficulty. I mean, that is the promise. When when Jesus is praying in John uh, John 17, he actually says, Father, I don't want you to take him out of the world, but I want you to be with him in the world. let's both of us, me, you, and the Holy Spirit, be with them in the world so they can give away what we have, and that's love and unity. Deep joy is the result when you have come to a hard place, you've pressed in, you've acted in humble courage, and you've come out to the other side at a deeper level of community. That's what God wants to do sometimes. It's his will for us sometimes. You know, God has given us the ability to hear his voice. We can actually know what God wants us to do. John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. He loves the figure, you know, the analogy of the sheep and the shepherd. Um, Does anyone realize how stupid sheep are? (laughs) Okay, let the reader understand. Okay, Um, this is what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you belong to God, you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. You've asked him to come and rule and reign in your life. Then the Holy Spirit is within you and you are a part of the flock of God. I mean, you may have been born as a sheep in the flock of God five minutes ago when John and Heather were speaking. Or 50 years ago. But the promise is this. If Jesus is in you, you can hear his voice. And I just want to declare to you this morning that reality. That whether you feel like you're good at it or not. Whether it's been a successful venture trying to determine God's will for you in your life. That you can hear the voice of God. Don't take my word for it. Jesus said it. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. And they follow me. There's another part of discernment. It's not just hearing the voice of God. It's not just a desire and a belief that we can hear from God. It's also the desire to what? Actually obey the voice of God. So I'll just, I'll give you an easy way out if you want it. If you don't want to do God's will, don't ask God what his will is. I mean, that's the easy way out, right? Let's do whatever you want and see how that works out for you. I mean, probably we're here in church because we did that at one, two, or a million times in our life. We did whatever we want and we found out how it worked. And now we're here, oh God, I really need you. No, Jesus, I really want to hear your voice. In John 7, Jesus makes a real interesting statement about knowing and doing the will of God. He says, uh, John 7, If anyone's will is to do God's will, if you want to do what I want you to do, if anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. And the context of this verse is a little different than just hearing the voice of God, but it is about identifying the testimony of Jesus. So Jesus is laying out the principle, if you want to do my will, you will know my will. But I think the the longing to do the will of God is a prerequisite to discerning the will of God. In other words, Jesus wants the yes before he puts out the proposal. Jesus wants the, the, the yes of faith in your heart before even he tells you what the deal is. That is true faith in Jesus. It's like, Jesus, if the deal's coming from you, I want it. As opposed to, well, God, I'd really like to know what you think about this. You know, maybe we could come up with something together. I mean, nothing too hard. But, you know, I mean, I want your plan for the most part. I, I just think Jesus is saying, no, it doesn't come that way. Jesus was never particularly uh, soft when it came to following him. Right? Take up your cross and follow me. That's tough. That's tough. Oh, unless you hate your mothers, your brothers, your sisters, you can't be my disciple. Hey, hold on a second. What's going on here? I mean, he was firm about it because Jesus was communicating this is an all in thing. This is wholeheartedness, this is single eyed focus. Jesus says, If you want to do my will, I'll show you my will. A willingness to obey. So, believe it or not, one of the steps of discernment is indifference. Okay? I lost half of you there. You're like, hold on, Randy. You just got me finally caring and wanting to do God's will, and now you're saying indifference. But this is what I mean. uh, A a crucial step in determining God's will is the prayer of indifference. And it goes like this. God, will you make me indifferent to anything but your will? That's the prayer of indifference. Will you make me personally right here indifferent to anything except your will? It's what Jesus said in the garden. Not my will, but your will. It's what Mary said in Luke 1.38. Remember Mary? You know, the little, what, 14, 15-year-old virgin? There she is. The angel comes. Mary, have I got a deal for you? you know, you are going to be overshadowed by the Most High and you're going to become pregnant and the one that's in you will be the Son of the Most High. And Now, if I was Mary, I think at that point I'd be at least saying, now, when you say overshadow me, like, what are we talking about there? I'm not really sure how this is going to look on my Facebook status. You know what I'm saying? Pregnant, unmarried, first century I mean, mean, that would be a logical way to go and Mary doesn't do that. I mean, this is the heart of Mary. I've got to believe deep under her words is I have no idea what you're talking about. But the words that come out of that heart prepared by God, "Let let it be to me according to your word. In other words, Mary is saying, I don't understand it. I'm not even sure if I want it in the natural, but if it comes from you, I'll take it. That's the yes of faith. And it's a step in discerning the will of God. So indifference means, God, make me indifferent to anything but God's will. doesn't mean you don't have feelings and desires. It just means that you really want what he wants. There are some questions to ask on the way to indifference. I put them on the back of your sheet there. Some questions to ask on the way to indifference. Because if we don't come to a place of indifference towards anything but God's will before we make a crucial decision in life, essentially when we sit down to listen to God or when we go to people for advice, we're just entering into a rigged election. Do you know how that works? I know what I want and I know God loves me, so I'm pretty sure God wants me to have what I want. So I'm going to get a bunch of evidence that concurs with what I want God's will to be for me. I'm going to get it all out there. I'm going to pile it up big. I'm going to avoid the other stuff. And then I'm going to go to the Lord in humble prayer. And I'm going to go to people around me and ask them, what do you think? And I'm going to tell them all the stuff that shows me that God's will is what I want. That's a rigged election. Is it surprising that we come out of that time with God and we've heard God say to do what we already know in our hearts we want to do? We have to be careful. And that's why the prayer of indifference. God, is there anything that needs to die in me so that the Holy Spirit can be born completely afresh and do His will through me? Is there anything in my life that needs to be set aside for now so that I can know and see and do God's will for me right now? Those are the questions on the way to indifference. And again, that's not indifference of I don't care. That's an indifference that says I care so much about God's will in my life that I will only do what I know he wants me to do. So one last little sidebar here before I close. And that is, you know, I I said just because you're in suffering doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. Uh, You know, that wasn't very fun for some of us. There's another side to that. When I was in college uh, about a thousand years ago, I was at a conference, and there's uh, like 10,000 college students there in Chicago, and a, a well-respected uh, speaker got up, a person I still respect to this day, and they said, if you're trying to figure out God's will, you just look for the hardest thing, and that's God's will. And that messed me up for years. I was searching through the Bible. Where is that? I mean, for Jesus, it was hard, right? But I never, I can't find that in the Bible. Do not assume that the hardest thing is God's will. It just because you're in suffering doesn't mean you're outside of God's will. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that it is God's will. Life and joy, that's God's plan for us to prosper, to have a hope, to 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 rejoice always. I mean, that's a part of it too. So don't assume that the hardest thing, the thing that you detest is the thing that God wants. Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a sweet verse. Memorize that one. It's God at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God is the one who's doing the work in you So that with all your heart, you'll desire God's will. And then with his ability, you can do God's will. So there, you know, we can fall off on either side. And I'm asking you to go down the middle. The radical middle. That's us in the vineyard, right? The tension of the now and the not yet. The suffering in the midst of joy. The joy that can come out of suffering. That's where we stand. I'll leave you with this this morning. James 1, 5. James just puts it out real clearly. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. God who gives generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to you. I mean, that after all is a perfect prayer to a perfect father. I mean, What, what parent in their right mind who has a child that comes up and says, I really want to do the right thing Will you help me? <laughs> Some of my parents are saying, I've never heard that before. <laughs> but what parent who hears that doesn't just heartbreak, oh, I want to help you. It might be the hard road, but I'll be with you in the midst of it. God longs for us to know and to do his will. Let's pray. Communion servers, could you come forward? <clears throat> God, we thank you that your will is that we would know your will and to do it. And I ask God for grace and faith and courage in us to walk down that path of humble indifference to anything but your will. Lord, to ask the hard questions, to open ourselves to you, to hear your voice, to listen to the community of faith, and then, Lord, to have the courage to do it when we know what your will is so that the world may know that the Father sent you. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you've given your life to following Christ, he lives within you, this is your time to thank him for what he's done. You can come forward and you can take a piece of the bread, it's the body of Christ broken for you, dip it into the wine or the juice, juice on the inside and wine on the outside, which is the blood of Christ, literally poured out for you, to wash away your sins so that you could be in the presence of God, to know his will and be empowered to do it. So when you're ready, please come forward. There's probably lots of response possible this morning, and so I'll leave the Holy Spirit to do his work in you. Uh, if there's a response that uh, you need to make towards the Lord from, uh, from our time of worship or the time of teaching or whatever God did in your own heart, but um, there were some praying here before the first service, and they felt like specifically there was a word of encouragement from God. And so I want <clears throat> to I want to read that. I remind you, when we get words like this, this isn't the Bible, but this is, uh, this is the Spirit of God speaking through people. This is the Spirit of God speaking and bringing encouragement. So we don't quench the Spirit, we listen and we test. So if this is for you, then uh, respond as you will. This is God speaking. My heart overflows with love and goodness toward you. Look up. I'm calling you up and out of the things that wear you down and bring discouragement. Set your eyes on me. Set your hearts on me. Set your whole being on my path. I'm lifting you up and out of those dark places. I'm bringing healing to those worn and tired places. My name is above all names. I will do what you say and I will do what I I will do what what you say I will do, and I ask only this, just come. Just come into my presence, that's all. Just come to me. I will do the rest. I'm the one who heals. I'm the one who restores. I'm the one who does the deep work in you. You need not strive, just come to me. I will work on your behalf because my love and kindness towards you has no end. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would uh, reveal your heart now to us, the places of healing, the places where we need to come to you to be restored and to be set free. And I ask God for that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, just as Paul prayed, that we would know you better, to know your will and to do it for the glory of Jesus. Amen. If you would like someone to pray for you this morning or pray with you, please come forward. Any of these across the front would be happy to pray for you. If you just want some time in the presence of God, you're welcome to stay seated here. We'll have some music on. Prayer ministry team training starts in a few minutes uh, over in the community room. And uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a great day.